Hi guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Green Dragon Podcast. I'm your host, Aiden. And your fellow host, Tom. And we're also Um, joined... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Myra, introduce yourself. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Um, Myra Milligan, I'm I'm a guest for tonight. Yeah, Myra, we're really excited. This is my first time meeting you. Uh, uh, You and Tom are um, friends through school, correct? That's how you guys met? Yeah. Okay. I was a... um senior when Moira was a freshman so yeah awesome so you're in that would make you a junior this year right yeah okay perfect so you're going into your senior year that's awesome um and that's actually one of the reasons we're having you on tonight is to talk about your senior thesis so I'm really excited to to get into that um and your senior thesis is on the topic of uh, the understanding the purpose of suffering, correct? Did I get that right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Perfect. I'm glad I didn't screw that one up because otherwise I'd have to ad lib a, a whole new po- a podcast topic for tonight. <laughs> um, perfect. So yeah, that's, that's great. I'm really happy to have you on today and I'm re- really looking forward to our conversation. So thanks for, thanks for taking the time out of, I'm sure your busy schedule. Um, to to do this yeah super excited um before we get into the main topic i i just want to do like a little bit of a background on you and, and, and get an idea of you know your background with family and growing up and um you know school and higher education what you're studying and what you want to do after school and then also just, you know, general background, like what are your hobbies? What do you like to do in your free time and stuff like that? So just give us a little like rundown on who is Myra Milligan. Okay. So um, I'm one of 14, uh, raised from a Catholic in New Hampshire. Uh, my dad's a family practitioner. Um, yeah, I grew up with a lot of siblings, obviously. Uh, um, I have two brothers above me and one below me, so most of my childhood was kind of like running with the pack kind of thing. Um, a lot of fun. Um, I heard of Wyoming because I'm the tenth one in my family to come here. <laughs> we kind of monopolized on that. <laughs> wow, that's some, that's some um, legacy right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, my first two siblings heard about it when it was founded in 2007, and so I came to school here in Wyoming. Uh, with a lot of expectations um, based on what I'd heard growing up, but not really, I, I didn't imagine what it would be like for me personally. So yeah, pretty, pretty amazing. Um, starting with like a challenge with the outdoor program, which is like 21 days in the wilderness when you're a freshman, it's the first thing you do um, and, and everything else. Yeah, so it's been, it's been a pretty amazing adventure and I've grown more than I ever thought I would. Yeah, a lot of potential. Um, Yeah, after school, I have a lot of thoughts. Um, The outdoor program is something that's given me a lot of life in a lot of ways. Um, I'm interested in pursuing kind of like the wilderness EMT route just a little bit. Um, We'll see how that goes. I also am looking into, I love the leadership aspect of it. And so something like a business consultant with um, corporate team building and human sciences, stuff like that is really interesting to me too. So yeah. yeah that's fantastic okay in the so long run oh yeah no no go ahead keep going 
Awesome. Sorry to interrupt. I got it. I bet it. <laughs> I got nothing more. <laughs> I was <laughs> no, yeah. no, 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 totally. Okay. So you're one of, you said 13 or 14. I've already forgotten. 14. 14. Okay. So one of 14, I'm one of five and I thought I had a lot of siblings, but one of 14, that's, that's like almost three times as much as I am. <laughs> okay. What's it? What's it? So what's the like age spread there? Because you said you've got how many siblings ahead of you? You said you had a few brothers ahead of you. Is that, do you have a few sisters ahead of you too, or? Yeah, so I am number ten. So all You're my number siblings. Ten. Okay. Yeah. So it's thirty-three to eleven. That's a spread. God bless your parents. Um, my <laughs> yeah. my my parents could barely handle the ten-year spread between me and my brother. Um, I'm the oldest, and, and he's the youngest, and uh, I think they're they're like, well, good thing we didn't have any more. <laughs> so God bless your parents for that. That's that's wonderful. So. You said 11 went to uh, Wyoming Catholic College then. And, and you were, is that right? 11? 11 if you can. 10. Well, 10? Yeah, okay. Give or take. So, okay. Okay. Got it. Okay. Got it. <laughs> yeah. So, so I heard uh, you, you mentioned that some of your siblings, you know, first heard about it when it, it was founded in 2000, early, like 2011, right? Um, 2007. Sorry. I'm getting my numbers mixed up here. 2007. So, what? Was it just the fact that your other siblings had had gone to WCC that made you choose it, or it was kind of like the the safe choice because you knew kind of what you're getting into after watching a few of your siblings go, or was it the the program itself? Was it the outdoor aspect of it? Because you know when I you know Tom told me about it, I was like that outdoor program sounds great because I love the outdoors too. Um, what what was it about it? Actually, that's really funny because because all my siblings came here I was seriously considering other schools <laughs> um, I, I understand like, you know everyone would be like oh you're a Milligan you're going there right and I'd be like you know what just watch me <laughs> so yeah I I fought it for a while but honestly it really was the after program um most of my siblings considered me more of the bookworm which I don't know why but that's what they said um but it was funny to see that like after my 21 day trip was just like 110% in like, yeah, hold nothing back. So the first decision I, I was really facing was like, I want to be liberally educated. That really appeals to me. My parents want me to be liberally educated. So like, unless I have a really good reason not to be, then like, I'm going to look at those kinds of schools and everywhere I went, all the stories about the outdoor program, I, I think about that. And like the challenges my siblings had faced, what they'd overcome, watching them grow, learning from them, like, I realized I really wanted that for myself and it was kind of always in the back of my mind. And when I was caving, visiting as a competitor in a competition before I came to the school, I'm like claustrophobic and I was in this cave with a bunch of people and it like, it was like a light bulb moment when I was like, yep, this is what I want. I'm not really sure why, <laughs> but it's what I want. So uh, yeah, I think that the outdoor program really was a thing. And also like this area, Wyoming is gorgeous and like, yeah, it's incredible. So that's fantastic. Yeah, no, I I haven't visited yet. It's on my list of places to visit. Um, part of me wants to buy an RV and like take like a three month trip out that direction, but yeah. I'm still <laughs> I'm still working on that. Um, that's that's really that's really cool. What is it? Do you think about the outdoors that attracts you? Because this is something I'm always interested in. I actually had our other host um, 
Jake, he came out to, I live in Atlanta, Atlanta area, northern Atlanta suburbs. Um, so he came out this weekend from Chicago. Now, Tom, Tom knows this being from a Chicago suburb. There's not a lot of outdoor activities in the Chicago suburbs. It's pretty bland and boring. Um, so when Jake came down here, we made sure to get him out and take him on a few hikes up in the, the Appalachian Mountains. And one of the things he mentioned to me is he's like, this is, it's really, he's like, I never was an outdoor person until the last year. And he's like, the more I'm outside, the more I feel closer to like, it's like something like very deep, like with who I am as a person, like it, there's this attraction to the outdoors and being outside and it just feels right. Like it, it something in there just clicks and it, it, it feels natural. So what is it do you think about the outdoors for yourself that really intrigues you or attracts you to it? Gosh, I got to narrow this down because it's like my favorite thing to talk about. Uh, well, one of them. But yeah, okay. So I'd say two aspects. It's one is what, what Jake was talking about, this idea of feeling connected to something bigger, um, especially out here. Uh, I've led the 21 trip myself. I instructed it as a professional, which was like an amazing experience. And the journey to get to that, that place where I could was like crazy. So like the beauty there, it's kind of like, one of the loudest wake up calls you can ever encounter in this world. And it's something that kind of gets hushed up in all the busyness of civilization in our world and what its expectations are. So I think that there's something about the mountains in particular that just slows everything down and kind of like you can't ignore it anymore. <laughs> so that part, and then the physical challenge, um, whether it's hiking or rock climbing or rafting or mountain biking, all those things. There's something about um, the challenge that you're faced and what that teaches you about yourself. Like for me, after spending 21 days in the wilderness and feeling that accomplishment of like, yes, I did that. And I didn't think I could before um, was, it's just like, it, it teaches you a new part of yourself and it carries over to other aspects of your life um, in a really real way, whether that's like challenges on a different level or like you now understand yourself to be, I don't know, I think it helps with self-love a lot for me at least. It's like, oh, suddenly I realize, yes, I can accomplish great things when I didn't know that before. So, yeah. I totally agree with you. I'm, I'm right there with you. It, for me, it makes me realize how vulnerable I am as a human being. Um, and, and in that like vulnerability, I think you learn a lot about yourself because when you're outside, especially when you're outside in, area that's remote or you're in the wilderness and you've got a bit more wilderness than even I do here in northern Georgia but when you're outside in the wilderness it teaches you something it teaches you that you know I think a lot of our lives are spent we think of us ourselves as the top of the food chain but when there's numerous things out there that can kill you <laughs> you learn really quick to be smart um, and it, I think it teaches a, a, you a lot about yourself so no I I think some of the best lessons people can learn in their lives um, are found outside through outdoor activity. So oh, yeah. that's, that's fantastic. I, I really like that. What's your favorite outdoor activity? Do you have like a favorite? You mentioned a few there, rafting, um, rock climbing, hiking, backpacking. Do you have a favorite? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, I love, okay, canyoneering um, and rappelling is probably my favorite. Um, 
when I go canyoneering, it's like another world. It's insane. It's like these canyons and all this terrain is just like, it's something you'd expect somewhere else. I don't know. It's hard to explain, but like, um, I love rappelling because basically, um, it's just this thrill of like being, I used to be afraid of heights, but rappelling and rock climbing helped me get over that. And like, I don't know, there's something just really exhilarating about lowering yourself backwards over a cliff um, in a beautiful place, you know? Um, and as I've, as I've learned, like become an instructor and learn the different knots and how to like set that up myself, there's a sense of being intact with that experience more than just doing it. That's been really, really cool. Um, I love like stemming through canyons and all this different thing. Um, yeah, so probably that. Okay. Has there ever been a moment when you're rappelling down a, down a cliff um, that you felt like, what the heck am I doing? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. why am I here uh, right now? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. There are times when the rope like it's hot yeah. or something and you're like, oh, this is what it feels like if it broke, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. is scary for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can imagine. I can imagine. There's a certain adrenaline rush that like, those activities provide you. And I think if more people would do outdoor activities like that, less people would be on drugs. It's my personal belief. I think, um, I think, <laughs> I think outdoor, acti outdoor activities like that are a perfect replacement for, for the, for the drug enthusiasts out there, if they're looking to get clean. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For, yeah, for, for me, <laughs> yeah, for, yeah, yeah, leave it to me to go there. Um, for me, uh, one of the most amazing experiences I had uh, when I first started getting into hunting, just the adrenaline rush, because I, I really enjoy hunting and I really enjoy deer hunting, but the, the, the adrenaline rush you get from being face to face with the animal that you've been sitting there waiting for is like none other. And you kind of like the first time you freeze in that moment and you feel like you're like one with nature, you feel like you're a part of something you were meant to be a part of. And there's no other experience like you that you, that you feel like that. I think other than when you're connected to the outdoors and connected to something that like humans were meant to be a part of. And um, there's just no replacement for that. And people yeah. really, and people really search for that replacement and you can't find it anywhere else. You just got to get outside and experience it yourself, whether that's, you know, climbing, hunting, fishing, whatever it is that you enjoy outside. There's something beautiful mm -hmm. to, to be found there. Yeah. Well, good. That's so true. Yeah. Yeah. So has, have the outdoors, did the outdoors inspire you? Getting into your your thesis here, I want to talk about your thesis a little bit. Did the outdoors inspire your thesis, your senior thesis of trying to understand the purpose of suffering more? Was that in any way inspired by that? I think so, because I, I mentioned earlier about this idea of self knowledge that comes through um, your experience with the outdoors, and I think that um, what I want to say in my thesis in particular is this idea of. Um, the inseparable, the inseparability of suffering and love. Um, in the end, like you, if you try to separate them, that's when things become meaningless. Um, and so, like I mentioned, this idea of learning to love yourself because of how you get to know yourself through through tribulation um, and through difficulties. And so, I definitely think that that kind of kick started this whole thought process of being like, 
uh, I've experienced myself accomplishing things. I've I've encountered pain in these settings, and like, where's the connection between all this stuff? So yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting because I don't think a lot of people realize there's so much to learn from from adversity, um, like you're talking about, and, and, and suffering. I think a lot of people avoid adversity and suffering because they associate it with this negative, this negative feeling, this negative connotation. But the, the only way to really grow is to have adversity, to face adversity, and then to you know, make it through that tough moment, that, that feeling of helplessness, whatever it might be. And when you make it through, you, you come out on the end, other end, a, a better person. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, yeah, I think so many people forget that. And I think that's what a lot of people, you know, when a lot of people are, especially nowadays, I think a lot of people are lost and looking for meaning in life. But I think a lot of that might have to do with the lack of understanding the purpose of facing adversity and facing trials and facing suffering. Um, do you think that suffering is something that is an innately human experience? Do you think that's the reason why we experience it? Um, or why do you think we experience suffering? Because I think that's the question a lot of people have. Like, why why did this bad thing happen to me? Um, so what do you think that is? Okay. So this is really interesting because um, if we go back to Genesis, um, we see that as a result of the fall, you know, sin and death came into the world. And so obviously it wasn't here before and now now there's this horrible thing. So, and, and you know, a lot of people see this as a cop-out answer, but you have at the end, it's like, you know, there's always going to be sin and death and, you know, God kind of steps back and lets things happen. But what I want to focus on is this crazy thing where not all suffering has to be like that. And, and honestly, like, okay, I'm using love generically, but I'm going to use it generically for a little bit. But once, once you bring love into the picture, this idea of um, giving yourself to others, giving yourself back to God, that idea, um, and you look at it through that lens, suffering takes on a new, a new meaning. In fact, it's given meaning. It's not just like, I'm in pain for nothing. It's like, I, I can offer this for people. Or like even I encounter suffering because I love someone else. So I just got really excited and I actually forgot what your question was. <laughs> so can you repeat that? Yeah, no, of course, of course. No, no, it happens to me all the time. Um, what do you, why do you think suffering is an innately human experience? And why do you think we as humans are so are so often faced with this trial of suffering in our lives. Why do you think that is? Okay. Yeah. So the Genesis was the answer to that kind of like, that's how we understand it. It started. Right. Um, and why it continues to be part of this world, but going back to the idea of how, how we face it. So it'd be difficult for me to say, you know, like if you love, then, you know, uh, world wars and all this stuff is okay. Like, obviously that sure. that's not the answer. Yeah. Um, in, 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 you have to qualify it. Right. Cause 
because you can't just say once once there's love and suffering is is made all right um so i think you have to you have to kind of separate it in two ways where we have suffering that's a part of who we are just because of of the reason i mentioned earlier it's it's there um but then when i say that suffering has meaning um so saint paul says that i rejoice in in my suffering that i experience for christ so if you bring that into the picture then then what does that mean to rejoice in suffering how is that part of who we are um and that's just kind of like i'm running into a wall here <laughs> that's kind of like um seeing i don't know this is kind of like this is the answer i'm trying to, mm -hmm. to answer. um in my thesis and i haven't got to it yet because because when you say that there's a meaning to suffering do we want to say it's good now because that can't be true mm -hmm. um, so that's the hard part is like okay how, what does it mean to rejoice in it mm -hmm. like, i'm just going to offer it up and it's okay that i lost someone who's dear to me or this or that yeah that's a really difficult thing to encounter and honestly like i'm searching for the answer but it's a hard one well, um, i think i think we all are to a certain i think that's sort of the human question too and i think that's what so many people have strived to figure out and encounter for the since probably the beginning of mankind. So I don't think you're alone there. <laughs> I don't know if I could answer it any better than you just did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but I think I think if you focus on this idea of um well what happens when we say that suffering in, in a way that you experience it, but then also suffering you take on for other people. You know, when we talk about self sacrifice, mm. whether it's for like I mean you see this all all over um human history like um you know for your family no greater love is man than to lay down his life for his friend for his brethren so like what's going on there um why is it a good thing then to take on suffering if it's a bad thing for somebody else um, okay um and that's something i also want to focus on is that when i see that suffering has meaning it's kind of like that's the greatest testimony of love we can experience that we can show somebody you know it's not just willing what's good in like a, a non-utilitarian way it's willing it so much that it's detrimental to yourself yeah. so that's a really cool way to look at it mm -hmm. you know and obviously you have a division there but yeah it's kind of crazy well i i mean if you look at christ himself the the, the ultimate sacrifice was through his death on the cross which was basically the tr the purest form of love itself which was through his suffering um, so if that's, if that's the purest form of love and that's what we're called to do as, as Christians or as, as human beings, then I think that's a true testament. I think suffering is woven into the fabric of, of who we are. I think we have to encounter that suffering and, and use it in a way that's, I don't know if use is the right word. I don't know if you'd agree with me there, but use it for something that's a, a positive force, I think, to turn it into something beautiful. To turn it into something as beautiful and as pure as the the love Christ showed for us through his death on the cross, I think. Yeah. Here, here's a tricky thing, though, is that, um, and a question I'm trying to answer is that love shouldn't be painful mm -hmm. and suffering, like suffering isn't intrinsic to love in a lot of ways. If you mm -hmm. think about it, um, Teresa says love till it hurts and keep 
loving until it stops hurting and, and there's only love. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, like, what does it mean that you love till it hurts? It's like, we, we you give ourselves completely for everyone. I think that's the definition of, of charity in a lot of ways is loving others for the sake of Christ. And as Christ did and Christ's example was to give everything he had. Um, and for us, that's painful, but I want to focus on why that's also beautiful in a lot of ways. Cause this is getting kind of meta, but, um, you have this idea of suffering is like a testimony, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And so creation was a testimony of love in a lot of ways. You know, God, God didn't have to create the world. He did. It was all of love, but it, that wasn't enough for us. We were like, no, you got to die <laughs> and show us that you, you really, really care, actually. Mm-hmm. So that's also the thing about us as humans is that we don't really believe until we see someone else like, like undergo something for you. Like you really believe someone loves you when, when they go through pain for you, you know, mm-hmm. um, or like that's, that's the biggest way to say that. So that's kind of a crazy thing. And it takes on this kind of new light as like, it's the best gift you can give someone. Yeah. Um, which is weird when you're talking about, you got suffering in that case. And then, you know, the suffering of the world in like a really bad way, like pain is, is a real thing and, and it's not good, you know? So yeah, that's just a really crazy thing to think about. Do you think it um, has, I was listening to this really interesting talk by Kurt Peterson. And he was saying that he shows people that there's goodness in the world by showing them that there's pain. Because he said that there's no one he's ever met that has denied pain. And he's like, well, if pain is a real thing, and we can see that pain can be relieved, then isn't the thing that can relieve it more powerful? Mm-hmm. So he poses the question of there must be some ultimate good if there's an ultimate pain, an ultimate evil. Mm-hmm. Of like loss, pretty much, or like you lose everything that's like the ultimate evil. Then he said, Then there must be the ultimate good that's way better than that if we can restore everything. So, kind of like the idea of Job, the book of Job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I don't know, maybe, maybe you could share your thoughts on this, but do you think God allows suffering to show how truly strong we are? Because if we can endure suffering for someone we love, and make things better, does that show them and us that we are capable of becoming better than the thing we fear? Huh. That's pretty crazy. No, I think that's so true. Okay. Look at like look at martyrdom, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget which saint talks about this. Somebody does though. Um, or I'm making it up, but it probably makes sense. Mm-hmm. Anyways, um the idea that that martyrs are testimony to that great that greater thing. The, the great pain that they undergo, yes, that's for, you know, their own good in a lot of ways. But um, I think it's St. Paul who talks about, like, the, the, the great testimony of of martyrdom to the world, of something so much greater than the pain they're undergoing. I don't know if that's what you're talking about, but, like, yeah, look at all the horrible deaths they've undergone. And, like, and what is that for? We, we say kind of, like, in an abstract way, glorifies God. But I think it also it glorifies God because it shows the greatness of what is greater than pains is the love, that testimony. Yeah. Again. Yeah. That's crazy. I should think about that. I don't know. It's just, <laughs> um, I heard this. Uh, I was actually, I learned this from a marketing talk, actually, but he said that every story, every good story, is 
protagonist, an obstacle, and then the story is of him overcoming that obstacle and becoming a hero. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty much every good story. And the higher the odds, the more intense of a story it is. So we said that like that's the Christian faith, that's um, superhero movies, that's like intense plot lines. He said it's always about this really complex or like simple and big problem and seeing how they overcome that problem. Yeah. And it's pretty interesting because this has been on my mind a lot lately. Like how do you talk to people to help them through suffering? How do you talk to yourself to help you through suffering? Because God always tells you to come to him when you're suffering. Because mm -hmm. he gives you the ability to overcome it. And even though the overcoming may not be taking it away, it may be like showing you how you're strong enough to overcome it. Mm -hmm. So like he'll give you the grace, he'll give you the people, he'll give you the tools to overcome it. And therefore, on the other side of it, you're met with a new person. You get to be introduced to a new Aiden, a new Moira, a new Tom. Yeah. And then God's like, this is the next level of your potential. And then he's like, I want to make you even better. So it's kind of a funny saying, but there's this, um, I don't know who came up with it, probably something really wise, that um, God always drops his biggest gifts and the biggest problems. Yeah. Because it's essentially, it's, it's kind of like a puzzle on like a simple layer of thinking, but like, you know, it's, it's kind of like what you rather be the person who's given the cake or you be the person who's able to make the cake. And so I think that's why God always asks us to be so cooperative with him because he's like, I could fix this for you, but let me show you the kind of person I made you to be if you fix it with me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that that's super important, I think. I'm going to go back to what you said before, that's the okay. idea of like us being made new. Um, because so if if we're imitating Christ, right, and saying like he comes to earth and he's like, this is how you be a good person, this is how you get to heaven kind of thing. And then he says, oh, I'm gonna die on the cross, then he says, Do unto others I've done for you. Be perfect as your heavenly father's perfect. So there's a lot of like arrows pointing in one direction. And then we're like, okay, so we're supposed to imitate him and die on the cross. That's kind of crazy. But basically, I think what happens with us undergoing suffering. And, and it'd be one thing to say, like, I lose everything and that makes me a better person. That's where love thing comes in. It's all about how you approach it in the end. Mm -hmm. And it's not like change your attitude. It's like, well, it's, I think it's a little deeper than that. I, I don't really know how to put it into words, but like, you know, seeing yourself as like, you know, receiving gifts and then being taken away from me kind of thing. So, but as, as you grow from your experience with suffering, as you give more, as you receive more, because receiving also can be a painful thing sometimes. Um, I think that what ultimately happens is we become more like Christ. And so suffering is a means of elevating us past, right? Because as humans, we're animals in a lot of ways, right? We're rational creatures. And so we're kind of fighting that tendency of self-preservation. Mm -hmm. it's it's kind of against your nature to die for someone else if you look at it as in an animal sense you know and so once we overcome that we're going up and beyond that into this spiritual sense of yes but we're also in immortal souls you know so that's kind of a crazy thought of like pain 
was a punishment, but now is the means of, of you know, attaining this kind of greater self, this kind of unity to God, which is just a really crazy thing to think about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think I think you're both on to something there. Um, and as you were talking, I was thinking about this. I think it's interesting to see there's two different types of people in the world right now. At least this is the way I see it. And you, I could be completely off on this, but I think there's two different types of people in the world right now. There's people, and these are the people that are typically very successful. Um, they challenge themselves on a daily basis to do difficult things, to do things that might even be um, a mental or in, that, ma that makes them endure a mental, a physical suffering. Um, you look at a lot of these guys that do like the ice, the ice baths, put themselves through really intense exercises, all these, all these things that are really grueling. I mean, one person that comes to mind is just David Goggins who continuously puts himself through this, what most would consider just horrific physical exertion. Um, but on the other end of that, for that individual, they, it makes them a better person. And I think that's something that's really interesting. So you see a lot of individual people do this, but I think the people that are most successful at that not only do it for themselves to be better, but have a greater purpose for doing it. And it's usually doing it for the people around them to make themselves better so then they can be a light, a beacon to be a better person, a better individual for the people around them. So they're not only elevating themselves through that suffering, that physical suffering that they're putting themselves through, but then in turn, they're elevating the people around them through that suffering. Um, and I think that's interesting because on the other end of the coin, and these are the other people that I think are in society right now, are the people that avoid suffering, whether it's physical suffering, mental suffering at all costs. And I think it's very like, I mean, just look at our culture today, everything that's marketed to most to, to the public is what's the easiest way to get through this without putting yourself through a lot of physical, mental challenges, or what are ways that you can mask those physical, mental challenges for yourself, whether it's through medications that block the feelings that you're having, maybe with, I know there's a lot of people, you know, now on um, antidepressants and stuff like this. And not to say that some people don't need that, but I think in many ways, it's a coping mechanism, something that really is in many ways for many people not needed in just a way to mask this sort of mental or physical suffering that they're experiencing. So everything's like, how can I make this the easiest on myself? So I think it's interesting what you're talking about because I think, right, I think it's always been this way, but it, now it seems at least very apparent to me that there's like two different types of people, one that embrace suffering, embrace pain, and then come out on the other side stronger. And then the people that avoid it mm -hmm. at all costs. And those are typically weaker individuals that typically too have less love for the people around them. 
in many cases, not all cases, but many cases. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I think, okay, so separating this idea of like avoiding pain, I think we should qualify and be like, okay, this is different than like you had a traumatic childhood or something. We're talking about like you're avoiding pain is trying to live a life of like comfort in a lot of ways, you know, you, you want, you know, your life, your life is designed to avoid any inconveniences. So I think that a really big problem with that and in this culture we see a lot is when you do that, um, the best way I can say it is like you become um, disconnected and unpassionate, which is super interesting and, and like passionate in like any regards, right? So it's kind of like becoming petulant children in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. which is not very flattering, but it's kind of true. Because um, you see the people who put themselves through pain have like this intensity about them because you can't really do that without determination and determination carries into different aspects of, of, of your life and who you are. Whereas when, when you see pain as in any circumstance is a bad thing, you know, people talk about forming your character, like that's real, even though it's a kind of stigma, but it, it's really real that you form your character through pain. And if you care about that enough where you embrace it, then yeah, it makes a huge difference to how you approach people in life. And I think that a mark of that is, is it's passionate. Like you care passionately about things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that American particular with this kind of culture of like, you know, quickly satisfying your needs is like, it's all about what makes me happy and happy equals what makes me comfortable um, is really complacent in a lot of ways, you know, um, which is super unfortunate, but that's what in a lot of No, definitely, definitely. Yeah, go ahead, Dom. I think interesting you said Mara was passion, you're passionate about something. Because passion actually means in the dictionary like willing to embrace suffering. Huh. There you go. <laughs> so that I think opens up more questions of like why is it that people seem to be genuinely more fulfilled and happier in the true sense when they adopt suffering in their life. They're like, no, I see on the other side of this, something better. Like, what, why is that? Like, because I know, like, it shows the determination. It's almost like, maybe, hear me out on this thought experiment and see what you think. So, before the fall, we didn't have death and suffering because we were at a point where we didn't need it to be good. We had the supernatural gifts. Yeah. Once we lost those, then we have to deal with the consequences of not being good, and that is all suffering. So then the people that are truly good, they have to push through those problems that are now in the world because of sin and those people that actually push through and go to the other side are actually the good people because they see through evil what is still good. It reminds me, Aiden and I were doing this, uh, and we take this freedom of the foundation of freedom series where we're talking about like foundation of America and resisting the civil war. And there was a soldier in there. Um, his name is Kirkland and he, after one of these big battles, he went out. So he was a Confederate and went out to help all the Union soldiers 
on the field because they were just crying out for help and no one was helping them. So he went out, admits like being fired upon and everything to help these people out. And it was, he's like, what did, was it Aiden? Like he's like one of the few people that had a monument built from that battle, I think. Yeah. I think yeah. maybe. He's like one of the only that has a monument and a statue built. And if I'm not mistaken, he wasn't even, I don't think he had necessarily a rank in in the military. He was just a, a soldier. So I think he was one of the only just common enlisted men to ever have a monument built for him during the Civil War, which is pretty cool. Yeah, so like he he saw like the good thing to do was to help those people, even though he could be fired upon. Mm-hmm. And the firing upon was, and the whole war was because of sin. But he decided that even though the sin was here, he was going to do the right thing for these people, which is to give them more life. So it seems like to me that maybe what Christ is showing us is that with sin in the world, the way to get out of it is to embrace it, to show it that you're bigger than it, you're stronger, and that through the other side is what you make. That's the new world, like the new creation that Christ brings. Mm-hmm. Because he accepted all of the sin, all of the destruction, was greater than all of it, and came out the other side giving us life again. Yeah. that's. I think that's like one of the most important things. Um, I mean, also think of St. Maximilian Kobe. He's the guy oh, in the yeah. concentration camp who like gave his life for another young man with family. This idea, like, we look at that, we're like, oh, wow, like, something's happening there in this place of, like, extreme hatred and, and, and death. And I think at the, at, that's exactly what the point is, right? Because the cross and, and the, like, the sacrifice that Christ made is not complete without the resurrection. Mm-hmm. And I think it's what we have to realize with our own sacrifice is that if pain is the end, then, then it's still meaningless, even if we say like we're doing it for something else. If we're not really, you know, doing it for something else, then it's just as meaningless as it was before. But it's this idea of like, I don't know, the embracing is a really interesting idea. Like how Christ embraced the cross, that thing he was being tortured on, you know? Um, it's kind of like you do that, you embrace suffering as something that it isn't going to stomp you out kind of thing. Yeah. You realize that. Yeah. That's kind of crazy. Which is, which is really hopeful because it's saying that God made us a whole lot tougher than we think we are. Mm-hmm. And that's a very loving thought to have. Like, you know, it's, if, if we couldn't take it on, if like if we get crushed, then it's saying that God made a world that was too bad for us to live in. Because if we couldn't get suffering, like, if we couldn't take it on and make the world a better place, then it would be hopeless, essentially. Right. And so maybe what God did was he made a good world. But he gave us the freedom to say, do you want it or not? And if you still don't want it, I'm still going to make it such a good world that you can still come to me. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah, like because I'm stronger than the world, and if you live in, with me, and I give you the power of sanctifying grace and all the other graces that God gives us, then we are 
still able to be good and possibly even better than we were in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is just amazing to think about because like, so I want to share something with you both. I, one of the coolest things I've ever heard math being used for was Jordan Peterson. He was talking about the difference between an optimist and a nihilist. Mm -hmm. So he said, how do you remain hopeful? And he said, well, the nihilist looked at the world and says, I'm one in eight billion people, what can I do? Mm -hmm. He said, the optimist looks at the world and says, well, I know about a thousand people. Those thousand people know about a thousand people. That's a million people. Times that a thousand, that's a billion. Times that eight, I got the whole world. So in four cycles, you reach the whole world by how you live your life. Mm -hmm. And there's everyday examples of that. Like you have Joe Rogan, every day he's reaching like 20 million people. And then all those people that are now reaching other people. We're doing a Peterson now, he's probably reaching probably like three or four million people every day. And then that's just having ramifications. Like we all know his name and we know things from him. And we can talk to our friends and email stuff about him. So like, there's like these warping impacts from like choosing what's good mm -hmm. and it really makes the world a better place because we're showing that by applying the gifts that God has given us, we can still make things good. Like there's always hope, which is, I don't know. It's, it's such, I don't know how to say it exactly, but there's like that deep sense of peace when you realize that there's still hope. Yeah, that's so true. I think that the big thing is that realizing that we're not made for suffering, and although it's present in the world, like that's not yeah the ultimatum. Like that's not we don't have to stop there. And the way that you live that, and you don't just say it, is realizing that like yeah, that it's not that's not not everything. And that's kind of crazy way what you said before about the psyche embracing it and reaching out to people with that. Yeah, and to bring back love because I mentioned that before. That's yeah. how you. That's yeah. how you live it, right? Is because like, it's it's loving other people no matter what your circumstances, no matter what theirs are, and and realizing that. I mean, like that's your example with with the soldier, like yeah. that idea of self gifts to the point of your own death, right? Like that is like an amazing testament, and the fact that we don't have to wait till we have an opportunity to like die for a bunch of people. Like there's a way in which we implement that in our daily life, which is just kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. In everybody we meet. Yeah. Because okay, another thought experiment. I had this idea on Sunday, um, <laughs> but I was trying to figure out that why does God say to be the servant of all and be the greatest? Like why is that? And then I started thinking, like, well, well, the servant is the one capable of doing all the work. So who is better at something, the person that can just receive what's been made or the person that can make it? So when God says to be a servant, I think what he's asking us to be is the best. Because if Christ is a servant of all, that means he can alleviate all of people's problems. And so like, when when you're like quote unquote selfish, you're essentially turning all of your attention towards your own problem. When in reality you could be from a whole bunch of other people's problems. 
-hmm. And in doing so, you probably fix your problem faster because those things are more apparent than like your own problems. Because we see ourselves through other people and experiences that we come in contact with. Because it triggers our brain to think differently and we see something in a new perspective. So like, I wonder when Christ says like, be the servant, like embrace the cross, if he's really saying like, this is how you unlock your full potential because then you'll see how you can work for the good of someone else and therefore be amazing. Yeah, no, I think that's so true. And the crazy thing that fits into that is like, when you say the best, like anybody listening to you thinks like a multitude of different things. And like this world standards for the best is the most successful, you know, like in money and career, all these different things. And the weird thing for us is that the best doesn't necessarily mean that like worldly success in the same way. And like it's really good to, to impact people like yours. Like, he's successful, but he's successful for a really good reason. And his mission is and it was really an amazing one in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, but it's like kind of crazy where this idea of we're supposed to be in the world but not of the world. And because of that, we bring like a whole new dimension to the table when it comes to like impacting other people. Um, yeah, I was thinking about that too, because oh, really? of Holy Thursday and like the washing of the feet. Oh, yeah. I was like, I think something really big is happening here that I haven't thought about enough. But yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Must be like similar wavelengths. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> the Catholic wavelengths. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're. Uh, yeah, I think you're onto something there because I think, you know, one of the things that humans struggle with is like what it means, what, what gives you purpose in life. And a lot of people define that as, you know, making a lot of money, you know, being successful, um, doing all these things for yourself. But I think if you look at the people that are truly happy, people that have found true happiness are typically the most self-giving people. And so it's through mm -hmm. that sacrifice that we find purpose and we find that happiness that so that most people are still looking for still striving for so i think that's why there's so many like people out there that feel lost and discouraged because they haven't discovered they're they're looking in the wrong places for happiness they they're looking internally when they should be looking externally um outside of themselves and what they can do for others and it's through that service, it's through that love of neighbor, it's through that sacrifice that we find happiness and purpose. So it's through the suffering that yeah. we find our purpose. Which is it's yeah, it's it makes no it makes no you know, and that's I think that's the struggle for most people is most people think about it logically. It's like, okay, well, how can I be happy? Well, let me do things that, you know, give me self gratification or pleasure or all these other things. When in reality, we need to think and do the complete opposite because, yeah. because I think we're very, we're mortal, we're mortal, you know, um, beings and we don't, you know, our, our knowledge is limited, obviously. And, and I think that's, I think that's what God wants to show us is God wants to show us, Hey, you're looking in all the wrong places. You know, look at my example, look at, look at the example of what I did for you dying on the cross. And I think that's, that's the beauty of being 
um, a religious person is we're given the ultimate example of what it means to be or to find purpose in your life. And, and I think that's what so many people have searched for and, and not been able to find outside of it. And if you look at other, other, yeah. um, and if you look at other, uh, religions, um, too, I mean, even, even some of the native, native American traditions, um, where they used physical suffering as a means to develop themselves more spiritually, like walking, like, um, I think one of them is like walking across the coals barefoot and during that suffering makes you a man. Um, and so I think it's really interesting, even those who aren't, who haven't had the example of Christ still through their spirituality have found this idea that suffering creates a stronger being, um, creates a connection with the divine and creates, a, you know, a more fulfilling human experience yeah that it is just really insane like what you're saying to like carry on the paradoxical aspect of it is that and i think it goes back to what i was saying when i ran into the wall like rejoicing and suffering like that's a really weird thing to say but the fact that you find joy in pain um which is like Tom was saying a really hopeful thing like and and it's so much more than just something that sounds catchy like it's kind of a crazy crazy reality that if, if you find fulfillment in giving yourself to other people and the greatest way to do that is, is, you know, like, um, the self gift of, you know, your life and whether that's like your actual life or just your time, you know, like think about the commitment of giving your time to other people. Time is a precious thing. It's a limited thing. Um, and so those are like some concrete ways in which like, yeah, when I, when I give my time to someone else, instead of using it for my own benefit, that can be painful, but in the end, like, at least in my personal experience, that's been something that's so much more fulfilling than if I use that time to like, I don't know, a hobby or, or something like that, or not that that's a bad thing, but like, yeah, it's just kind of a crazy thought. It is. And that brings us to the million dollar question. When we do experience pain, when we do experience suffering, what do we, you know, what do we do with it? Do we embrace it? Do you have any, have you, have you, do you have any practical advice or guidance for those experiencing suffering in their lives, experiencing that pain? Yeah. Okay. What do you do? This is something I thought about a lot, actually. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I think that we've mentioned two things. We have like the first level is this idea of growing in a concrete, tangible way where you're like, okay, I'm a, I'm a different person on the other side of this painful experience whether it's just like a challenge or it's like an actual hardship or it's like, you know, a loss or something like that. Like, obviously you're someone different. So like, what does that mean? Um, the first step is like, okay, why, why do these people, all those people you mentioned who put themselves through painful experiences do that? Um, so I think that what you do in experiencing pain, maybe the first thought is like, is this pain a good thing or not? Like, is this something that helps me become a better person? And what is a better person? You know, like a discomfort, like wouldn't it, wouldn't it be better if I was patient with this like irritation with another person or like the fact that I don't know, like the DMV line is like super long, like something random like that, but like little inconveniences, like what's your goal in the end? Is it to be like 
Is it to be kind of untouchable when it comes to inconvenience? Okay, well, the best way to do that is to expose yourself to inconvenience and to accept it as like a challenge that once once you get over it, you know, it doesn't bother anymore. Um, actually, in the outdoor program, we talk about it like the middle, you have the comfort zone. And in the comfort zone, you don't grow at all because it's, it's based on habit, right? Your comfort zone is things you're used to. And right outside the comfort zone is the challenge zone. And in the challenge zone, that's where growth happens. And it's things like obviously intuitively it's things you're not comfortable with. But the more and more time you spend in the challenge zone, the greater your comfort zone becomes, it expands. And beyond the challenge zone is the panic zone. You never want to spend time in there. That's the kind of the kind of pain that's like not good for you. <laughs> like things that where you can't function, you know, intellectually, you can't react, you know, like that would be things like, I don't know, exposing yourself to crazy heights, things that like, obviously there's a limit here, a prudent limit. But I've thought about that idea of why would I want to expand my comfort zone? And this comes to the fact that we're trying to be better people um, in whatever sphere you live in, right? So yeah, that's one way to count suffering, I think, is like this idea of the growth that comes from that. And we've talked about that a lot. Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I find that interesting because um, one of my favorite professors in college, actually, he was an international business professor and really funny guy who's Greek and had this really thick Greek accent. And I remember him because I had him my freshman year. And I remember him telling us on the first day that we weren't going to learn anything out of the textbook and he was going to teach us everything we needed to know through his, his stories. And everybody just kind of groaned because it, it was one of those classes you had to be more attentive in to do well. And one of his key points he made on that first day was adaptability is the key to success no matter what you do. He said the most successful people are always adaptable. They put themselves outside of their comfort zone and that's the only way to grow. And he said the only way you'll be successful in my class is if you become adaptable. And to the dismay of this, the, my fellow students throughout the rest of that class, he did everything in his power to make it as uncomfortable for us as humanly possible. We would come in on test days and he would throw questions at us that if we were smart, we had prepared, you know, in some way for that we should know. And for those who are not adaptable and those who are not prepared, you know, they're kind of screwed. And so it was, it wasn't one of those classes you could just, you know, kind of BS your way through. You had to be an adaptable person. And that's one of the things I took away from my college experience as a whole. In every class I took after that, how can I be the most adaptable version? How can I adapt in every situation? And I think that's something people aren't good at because it sucks to be outside of your comfort zone. It sucks to feel that 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 discomfort that feeling of like uneasiness when you're thrown into a situation you're like oh boy what am i getting myself into here and uh, mm -hmm. and i but i think and this is maybe a little bit of what what you're talking about here is the more you allow yourself to experience that discomfort the more you will grow it's like a muscle you have to exercise your your mind and your adaptability to be able to work through problem solve 
and be a more adaptable person. So if you don't exercise at all, you never put yourself outside of a comfort zone, you get complacent and it becomes impossible to deal with, deal with that, that discomfort. And then when you do experience a discomfort, because everybody will in their life, I mean, life's not a, not everything in life's a guarantee. The people that don't do well and the people that haven't put themselves in those uncomfortable situations automatically go into that panic zone you were talking about. And that panic zone is where a lot of people break. And you see it. You can see it in a person's eyes when they're going into that panic zone. It's like, oh, boy, what did I do? Like, I'm not ready for this at all. And I can remember seeing that in my fellow classmates eyes when his tests would come out, be like, oh, no this is not good. I, I, I did exactly what he didn't tell me to, you know, I did the exact opposite of what he told me to do. I, I only, you know, studied the keywords in the book and I didn't pay attention to any of his class, you know, lectures or his PowerPoint slides. And, um, but it's always, it's always interesting. And, you know, I, I feel bad about saying I enjoy seeing people in those uncomfortable moments because I know what it's like, but it's always fun to see how people react when they're put in a situation of discomfort. The, the, they're either experienced and they adapt or they figure out a way through it or they, they panic and they break. And mm-hmm. I think, so yeah, I think it's, I think that's really interesting. I think it's, yeah. I think it's critical to be like a, like, like stepping aside from the idea of just, you know, like being like, I think in order to be a better version of yourself, to be a successful version of yourself, you have to have, you have to be able to exercise that. Yeah, I think that wraps back to like one of the main things we were focusing on this idea of like touching people um, in the world, like making an impact, living out a Christian life, all these things. Like, think about what happens when you're in the panic zone or your challenge zone is really big. Like, it's not just a question of convenience about like where you're able to function well. I think that it goes so far as being like part of our duty to like kind of adapt to a lot of different things. And it's not just because like it makes us, you know, good subjectively, like it's kind of like this idea of being ready for every kind of weather kind of thing. You know, if you can touch people, if you can, if you can hear people, if you could be with people in any walk of life, because that's what you're ready for, because you prepared for it in some ways, then I think that's really, really important. I think you're totally right. And I think going back to the outdoors, I think that's what I think that's what the outdoors teaches you. It teaches you how to be an adaptable person. I was thinking about this this past weekend as we were hiking, um, me and Jake, we were hiking and we're talking about the pioneers. We're like, you know, it's crazy to think that these people just one day decided, you know, like, I want a better life. So I'm going to like huff it like all the way across the country from like New York to the other end and they didn't even know where they're but think about how adaptable you had to be how how um like there's you can't prepare like in that situation you couldn't prepare for everything the only thing you could do is do your best to be a highly adaptable person and i think back then people were more in tune with that because there was less luxuries in life you know we didn't there was no heating and air conditioning people had to be adaptable and in their everyday life and i think Nowadays, because we're uh, because of the technologies that we have at our fingertips, and um, and all the things we have access to, it's harder and harder and harder to exercise that 
resilience, that adaptability. So you have to put yourself, and I think that's why people do the crazy things like ice baths and the crazy workouts, because it's really the only way to exercise that that thing, that muscle, on a daily basis, um, because we're just we're just soft. And so I think that's the beauty of the the outdoors. Kind of tying it back into the outdoors is the outdoors teaches you a lot about your resilience and your ability to adapt and your ability to problem solve. And it's, it's a good way to exercise that. Sure. Yeah. You made me think of, this is slightly tangential. Actually it's not, it's not tangential, I promise. Um, (laughs) But I think like going to the next level of like, okay, so there's, you know, encountering um, pain and like adapting. That's like really important. But the next level, like, what do you do with the suffering that is like that we encounter because the world is, is broken, you know? Like what happens then? Um, and I think it's, it's really interesting that people talk about when you meet the kind of person who's seen a lot, you know, you feel more understood by them. An experienced person, someone who's seen a lot of life, you know, they can either be embittered by that or there's something about them that, that just speaks to you. It's like, oh, wow, this person, like, they, they've looked at suffering, they've encountered hurt, and and they've grown from it. And they have something like, I want that, you know? And what is that? It's just kind of crazy that kind of goes back into like what our role is in serving other people. Is when you encounter pain in other people and you walk with them through that and you encounter your own pain with the right mindset, this mindset of like, this doesn't have to be something that crushed me, like you're saying, Tom, earlier, um, that that this is part of life. But if I encounter it with this this kind of love, then I can rise above it in a lot of ways. When When you look at it that way, you're able to understand people so much more. And isn't that like one of the most important things is loving people here and now it's like, you know, whoever it is, whatever they're doing, like being able to see past that hurt and that pain they're experiencing because you have something concrete to relate to them. You can walk by that concrete thing that that could have helped you and, and like complain about it. Or you can see it as an opportunity to grow in understanding of yourself and other people, which is which is a really valuable thing, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And kind of tying it back into something you said earlier, when you're in panic mode, you're only thinking, I think you're only thinking about yourself in that moment. But if you're able, if you've exercised your adaptability, your ability to deal with adversity and suffering and pain, you're able to look at that situation, look outside yourself to help others. And so I think that's why it's so important to, you know, exercise that on a regular basis because then you don't go into that panic mode. You're able to assist those around you and help them learn or teach them how to deal with that pain, suffering, that, mm-hmm. that, that trialing moment and, and not fall into the panic mode. Yeah, sure. That's kind of a crazy thing how like, yeah, when you look at suffering in that way, it, it serves so many different roles. It's, it's a teacher in a lot of ways, I would say, um, obviously with like limitations, but it's kind of a crazy thing that it has this paradoxical nature of being something that's so difficult. And yet it bears a lot of fruit in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, like, you just said something like bearing fruit that oh, Christ always talking about, like he'll tell 
um, feedback strip. And it's it's really interesting, but like how fruit works is like it looks so good that an animal will take it and eat it and scatter the seeds. So it's like it wants to make it look like it's amazing because this is a good tree, so it'll make other good trees everywhere else. Mm -hmm. But what's a good tree is something that's strong. It's like able to withstand weather, heat, um, whatever it is, like animals. And so it seems like the really good people are tested by fire because <clears throat> then you'll see like the true gold of their hearts. And then you want that, that they have to be shared with other people. That's like when you see a really good act of kindness or something like on the internet, you'd like to share it with somebody. Because mm -hmm. it's like showing you what's really good that someone did. And I think it comes back to that relating of like the people that are bitter or the people that are peaceful, I think. Mm -hmm. Or I'm not sure how to describe those other people. There's something about them, like you were saying. Um, like there's something, it's almost like they, I think you've gotten into this in school, but we had this class on tragedy and comedy. Mm -hmm. And comedy is the ability to see through the end and make it good, essentially. That's what I got from it. But it's really funny that that's one of the definitions of comedy in the old days because most comedians today, like really funny people, actually have experienced some of the greatest sufferings in life. Really weird, but like most of them have had like crazy stories, but they're able to see it and overcome it and then see, I think, in themselves and in God and maybe others that if they came through that, then life can isn't bigger than they are, so then they can actually laugh at it. Mm -hmm. And so then they can add the ability of other people to laugh at problems and then therefore elevate them above that problem because when you laugh at something, you see the inconsistency or incongruity, and then when you laugh at it, you see it, and therefore you rise above it. Because like 50% of your problems, or, or the problem is seeing it, and then the other 50% is fixing it. So if you can see it, then it doesn't seem as difficult, like you come halfway up overcoming it. So I think that was a lot to put into one thought, but <laughs> I think the idea of like we want to share what's good, true, and beautiful, and when we see that in a person, that's like the best because then we know is actualized in the highest place on earth. Yeah, that's crazy. I think that makes a lot of sense because the most inspiring people are always the ones typically that have gone through the most, experienced the most, whether it's comedians, athletes, whoever it is, usually they, they don't typically most success. I mean, the most successful, the most inspiring people don't come from an easy background. They faced a lot of trials and tribulations in their life. And I think there's a reason that they're mm -hmm. so inspiring is because that's what we're searching for ultimately. But to, yeah. To kind of wrap up our thoughts here for the night, um, Myra, do you have, if you were to, if looking, looking for, I'm looking forward to 
to hearing your full thesis once you've once you've got it written. So, what do you think the most important thing if you're gonna like one minute explain understanding suffering? What do you think the most important thing for people to understand or to 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 take away from this idea of understanding suffering. What do you think that is? If you were to summarize it. Gosh, I know it's hard. Gosh. I know it's hard because it's your thesis. <laughs> you could I mean, we've been talking about it for an hour and 15 minutes. So it's, it's not, e I'm sure it's not easy, but I just want to see, I want to, I want to get like a, a, if, a little snapshot here. Cause what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this, I'm going to clip it and then I'm going to put it on YouTube as a, as a hook for, to get people into this. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh! All right, no pressure. No pressure. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. I think that the most important thing about the reality of suffering now, right after after we're talking about redemption, because I'm talking about it in a very theological way, because I think that's the best way to understand it, the only way to understand it, um, is that now suffering isn't isn't this dark reality that's meaningless. Now it has meaning because in suffering, we have this, this pathway, this pathway to growth, to understanding. We talk about becoming a better person by under, like undergoing tribulation, by undergoing any kind of suffering. All those people that we admire because of that, why is that? Like, why, why are they a better person because of that? What is it about pain, you know, that, that makes, them, makes them so admirable? And I think that the bottom line is, a lot of things that we just said is like the understanding of other people in general, because pain is a reality in the world that everyone has to undergo. And when we undergo it with the right mindset and with the right attitude, suddenly it, it has this new meaning. And that meaning is like this unity to, to God who came and he gave himself on the cross. And he said, this is the greatest testimony of love is to go undergo pain. And so when we undergo pain, we start to understand it as it's not the end. Pain is not the end. In the end, it's a, it's, a, it's a darkness that we want to rise up and above. But it is a path. It's a path where we learn a lot about ourselves and about others and about God. That was beautiful. That was perfect. Well, well said. <laughs> very well said. I, I don't think I could have even come close to that. Um, but thank you. I, I really do... Um, I really enjoyed this conversation and I think I've, I've learned a lot and I've taken away a lot. So I, I appreciate you taking the time to, to share this. And if you want to get back on ever and, and chat with us about more ideas as you, as you start to go through the, the writing, the writing process, your thesis, and if you ever want to come back on and talk about another topic, you're, you're more than welcome to, this has been really great. So, so thank you for thanks for taking the time this was this was fantastic um i don't know if you want to plug this is the time i'm going to start plugging social media stuff for us is there any do you want to plug any social media stuff for you or do you just want to leave it anonymous uh you don't have a web do, do, okay no website or anything you want to plug all right perfect well i i'll be looking forward to hearing more about your thesis um and and best of luck to you in this academic year and then your senior year as well. Um, I'm sure you'll do great. You've already, you've, it already seems like you've got a, a really good understanding of um, of your goals and 
And yeah, so thanks, thanks again for, thanks for, gonna, for joining us. But uh, thanks for everybody who tuned into this episode. And I hope you guys enjoyed the show. If you did, please drop a like, leave a comment or a review. You can go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. I'd love to see some Apple Podcast reviews. Um, and if you liked what you heard tonight and this is your first time hearing it and you want to go find more, go follow us at The Green Dragon Podcast on YouTube, Instagram, and True Social. And then you can find us, The Green Dragon Pod, on Rumble and Twitter. Our Rumble will get up and running. I'm working on it right now. So for you anti-YouTube people, pro-Rumble people, I'm working on it. Don't worry. I've, I've, already, I've already received some, some text messages, so I, I've heard you. Um, you can also listen to the show everywhere, any day, anytime on both Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We release new podcasts, full episodes Friday. I put them out 5 a.m. Eastern time, so you people that drive to work early or want to listen to it at the gym, I don't know why you want to do that. Listen to music. Music's better. Um, you can listen to it early on Fridays. But until next time, be safe, stay vigilant, and most importantly, be a good American. God bless. Thank you.